The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. The good life. So I thought I would dress the part. And I'm in solidarity with Hawaii right now. And uh, hey, so my question would be this. Are you living the good life or the good enough life? Follow me. The good life where we are good, we do good, and as a result, we have this internal sense that we feel good or good enough. We are trying to do good because we want to feel good, but we never quite feel good enough. So are you living the good life or the good enough life? And the challenge with being good enough is that there's a lot of different bars, right? Like meaning a lot of different people have various standards on what it means to be good enough. Let's use exercise for example. So some of you, it is good enough to have a thought that you're going to exercise. Like I'm thinking I'm gonna sign up to go to the gym. And just thinking about that is good enough. Others of you, you actually have to try to go to the gym. And so the fact that you set your alarm and you intended to get up and go to the gym was good enough, right? And some of you are like, you fit in that category. You're like, man, I feel better about myself that the alarm went off. I hit the snooze button, yes, but at least I tried and that's good enough. And then others of you, you actually had to get up, go to the gym and try, meaning you didn't get out of the locker room. You actually got caught in a conversation with some friends and then you you made your way over to the gym, but then you started talking with some other people, but that was good enough for you. And then others, you get on the treadmill and then you're talking to your buddy next to you. And so you never quite pick up the pace. You did that for a little while and then you got distracted and you got busy and that was good enough. And then finally, me, I don't know, I feel like I fit into this category. Like I can go out, I can go real hard and I get done and it wasn't good enough. I'm like, I should have gone further. I should have tried harder. I should have, should have, should have. And so you see how there's different people have different standards on what it means to be good enough, to try hard enough. And uh, man, it seems like no matter how hard we try, it's never enough because we never even live up to the standard we've set. And maybe you're like me and you have a resume full of moments where it's undeniable that you were not good enough. So my, my, one of mine and my long list is after church one Sunday, by the way, just disclaimer, this was a while ago, all right? Just saying, but after church one Sunday, me and a couple friends, a couple people from the church, we, we actually went golfing together and we were having a good round. In fact, I was having the best round. I was actually crushing him. I mean, literally, I was crushing the ball. I was playing really well. And I think maybe as a result of feeling really good about my game, I was getting a little bit confident. And so there's this, um, from one hole to the next hole, there's this really steep hill and it kind of is windy. Don't, I know you're all trying to figure out where I was playing. I'm not gonna tell you, all right? I'm embarrassed. But there's a sign on the front of that hill that says, keep car in gear. What that means to me is if you take it out of gear, you're gonna have more fun. And so I have a friend in the cart with me. I take it out of gear and we are having a thrill. I mean, we're zooming down this hill like, wee! 
and like a little kid on it, riding on a skateboard going straight down a hill, you know how this is gonna end. Exactly, that's what happened. And I didn't realize there was a turn at the end and we flipped the cart like multiple times and pieces of it were flying. All of our golf gear is everywhere. My, my friend, he jumped out as he realizes this thing is gonna end badly. And he landed on the cart path. Me, I'm like captain going down with the ship. So I'm holding on to the steering wheel and this thing is like, and then finally I go flying out and uh, my first instinct was to jump up and see if I could keep playing. And so I flipped the card up and then I grabbed one of my drivers and I'm like, oh, oh, that can't be good. And then, and then I looked up at my friend who doesn't consider me a friend anymore. And uh, I walk up and he's literally laying on the car path. And I'm like, oh, what have I done? And uh, then he like slowly comes to and he's getting up and he's like bloody. And I'm like, I'm horrible. And here's, why do I tell you this terrible story? Because I know all of you are like, why do I even come to this church? Why am I tuned in online? What is wrong with this guy? All right, so here's the thing, right? Like on anybody's standard, that's not good enough, right? Like you all agree. Like everybody hearing that's like, yeah, that's true. Our pastor's not good enough. He's terrible. And don't ever go golfing with him. And, um, but here's the thing, right? There's this moment, there's these moments in life when we realize we're not good enough. And what's crazy is this. It, it was my hands holding the wheel, but there is this feeling like it wasn't me. I don't know what came over me. I don't know what, what possessed me. I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm like, when, when we walked in the door and I had to bring him home and like his wife was with my wife at our house, I walked around, I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking. Something else was going on inside of me, right? And we can make the excuses. And it's this surreal moment when we detach ourselves from the things we're doing. It was my hands, but it wasn't me. It was my words, it was, it was my mouth, but it wasn't my words. It was me, but it was like an out-of-body experience. And what we try to do is we try to detach ourselves from our behavior. In some way, then, we can convince ourselves that we're still, we're still good enough, even though we do things that aren't good enough. And the challenge is that those moments reveal the deepest version of who we are, the truest version of who we are. I don't care how you try to excuse it. You're like me and you try to disassociate yourself from your hands or your motives, but the reality is those situations reveal the darkest, truest version of who we are. And we're not good enough. I don't wanna bring you back 2,000 years because really I'm setting you up so that when you hear about the Cretans, you feel good enough. I mean, these, these people, now they, they set the bar really low on what it means to be good enough. They're the ones that just, it's good enough to think about going to the gym. That's it, that's good enough for them. They, they set the bar on not being good. And so, you know, here's an here's a island nation of people who like universally are liars, cheaters, 24 seven drunk and lazy gluttons. That's literally what their own people say about them. 
This is who we are. It's like when you drive into the community, that's the sign they have up. And the apostle Paul came with a young man that he was training to be a pastor, Titus. And they started a church on the island of Crete. And uh, after they started the church and a few people started joining, the apostle Paul continued on his missionary journey. And uh, he left Titus responsible to now lead this island church. And then he writes him a letter later to give him instructions on what, how to live the good life, right? So follow me here. Here's a whole bunch of people that are not good enough, and yet Paul is writing to them on how to live this good life and on how to become good. And so I'm going to jump right into that letter, Titus chapter 2. So we're already pretty deep into the letter, and Paul is giving instructions on the standard of being good. So check this out, Titus chapter two, and we're gonna start in verse one. You, however, and so he's contrasting what he just said in chapter one, which is as he concludes chapter one, he's saying like, here's a lot of people that are not living up to what it means to be good. And he goes, you, however, must teach what is appropriate. So he's telling Titus, you need to teach them what is appropriate to sound doctrine, meaning the right way to live according to the right teaching. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can uh, urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. And then he continues, similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything, set them an example. Now, this is the part I really want to catch your attention as I'm reading this last uh, sentence here. Uh, in everything, uh, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. And then catch this. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So the bar he sets is live your life, let your life be an example, and teach in such a way that the way you live and the good you do shows people the right way to live and so that anyone who has anything bad to say about you is embarrassed because no matter what they say bad about you, it's not true because you're living so good. Now, when I read that, when you read it, I hope you have the same response. Wow, that's a really high bar. And some of us have tried. I mean, you've tried hard. You, you've kind of white knuckled this thing. You've tried hard to be good. You've tried hard to be good enough, but no matter how hard you try, by the way, I was a pastor when I wrecked that golf cart. Like I, I'm trying. And even when I try, it's not good enough. And, and so how do you accomplish this? Because Paul's not lowering the standard, he's raising it. And, and his next line, as he concludes that, that chapter or that passage, then he writes this, and this is the key. And so don't miss this. Here it is right here. Titus chapter 11, uh, chapter two, verse 11. He goes, for the grace of God has appeared 
that offers salvation to all people. And kind of this is almost pejorative. Follow me here. What he's saying is kind of like to all people, including you, Cretans. Like God's grace is so good that he offers salvation to all people. So if you're on the island of Crete and you're a lazy, cheating, lying, drunken Cretan, he even is offering it to you. Which, which the principle here is when you and I realize that we're not even measuring up to the good enough life, the Apostle Paul is teaching the Cretan church on how to live the good life, and the key is this. This is what I would encourage you to write down. In fact, if I could encourage you, would you take notes, pull out your smartphone or a tablet, or if you wanna do it the old-fashioned way, we provide the study guide or a program for you to write in. The, the main point, the principle that I wanna jump off the pages of what you're reading is this. Grace makes us good. Don't write enough. It's not that grace makes us good enough. It's grace makes us good. Follow me. Our challenge is that deep inside, the reason that no matter how hard we try, it's never enough is because at the core of who we are, we are not good. And so we're trying to do good things to make us feel good and look good, even though inwardly we are not good. Now what's going on inside of us is that there is an inner drive. There is an inner desire that when we see a sign that says, keep car in gear, all I hear is take car out of gear. And there's no way I'm the only one. Come on. I've literally had people tell me that like when we prompt you to do something in our service, your instinct is to do the exact opposite. So if we're like, hey, everyone, I invite you to stand with us. You're like, I'm gonna sit down. You, you're the same way I am. We're all hardwired. You see a sign that says keep car in gear and you're thinking how much fun would we have if we took this out of gear? There is an internal hardwiring that makes us not just resist the law, but resist what is good and best for us. That hardwiring is what biblical authors and Jesus refer to as sin. Sin drives us, compels us, gives us, a desi gives us desires that push away from God and what is best and lead us down a path of our own destruction. And we want it meaning we willingly take the cart out of gear and go, let's do this. By the way, I don't know why I'm gear shifting. It's actually over here somewhere. It's just a little lever. So it's not really that hard to take out of gear. And that's exactly how life works, doesn't it? It's not that hard to just do what you want, resist what is God, resist what is best, and just go about your business. And for a little while, for a moment, it's a thrill ride, isn't it? For that one moment of pleasure, for that one euphoric moment, it feels really good. Then you see the inevitable turn at the end of the path and you're like, uh-oh, and now you're hanging on for your dear life knowing this is gonna end badly. And here's how sin ends. It doesn't just lead to guilt and shame and relational ruin and mental anguish and emotional burdens. It doesn't just hurt you when you fall out of the car and wreck your shoulder. It doesn't just hurt your friend who jumped out of the cart to prevent you destroying his life. It hurts others, doesn't it? And we all carry that, but that's not the worst part, no. The worst part of sin is that it leads toward an eternal ruin. 
The consequence for sin is that we face eternal judgment. So this inner, let's just call it inner badness, this inner bad life stirs desires and drives that lead us down a path of our own destruction that ends in eternal judgment. But God, God who is unwilling to leave the people he loves that he created on a life course, a life path of their own destruction. And so God intervened in our story and that's what Titus is writing about. He said, the grace of God appeared offering salvation to all people. And then he continues and here's how he's applying this now. Check this out in verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, this promise, this hope, this, this euphoric desire that things are going to become good. The blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Meaning someday he's going to come and he's going to make everything bad right. He's going to correct the wrongs. He's going to heal the world. He's going to transform us and he's going to set us in paradise where there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain. He goes, who, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us, check this out, from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And what's the point here? What, what's the takeaway that you can pull from this passage? It's not complicated. I'm not trying to stretch it. It's very simple. So he says, the grace of God appeared which offers salvation to all people. And then he unpacks it and he says, it's Jesus who, who gave himself so that he could redeem us from wickedness and purify us. So what's the point? It's the grace of God that gives us the good life. Can I encourage you to write that down or type that in? It's the grace of God that gives us the good life. Meaning this, the good life is receiving the good news of God's love through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the good news that makes us good. The good news is this, that Jesus Christ refused to leave us down a path of our own destruction. And so he intervened, not just by putting a sign up that says, keep cart in gear. He knew we were gonna wreck it. And so he intervened and he, he puts himself between us and the sin impact. He took the blow of our judgment, of our destruction on himself. So he died in our place and he absorbed our eternal judgment so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin. The shame, the guilt that we carry is placed on Jesus. The judgment we deserve poured onto him. So when he died, he died in our place, but Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new life. How do you receive new life? Because when you believe in Jesus, God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, comes and lives in your spirit, your eternal invisible spirit. When God's spirit is in your spirit, he transforms you. Follow me, this is essential. God's spirit enters into our spirit, and so what he does is he plants his goodness into our lives. We were previously driven by sin. We were previously bad, not good enough, trying to be good enough, but never quite measuring up. But when God's spirit enters into our spirit, it's this good news that gives us grace 
Grace, which makes us good. Follow me, this is essential. When God looks at your life, when you believe in Jesus by faith, he doesn't see you as good enough, he sees you as good. Grace gives you the good life. Grace is it's a word we use to simply describe God's favor toward you. That rather than God wanting to crush you like a bug, rather than God showing up on the scene of my accident, and going, you broke the rules, you're out of here, you're judged. God comes in and he rescues me, picks the pieces of my life up, doesn't just put me back together, but makes me better than I ever could have been because I was trying to be good enough. He makes me good. That's in the deepest part of who you are. Not in your efforts, not in your will, but in the core of who you are, in the deepest part of your spirit, he transforms your makeup so that you are now made good. He, in essence, what God does is he takes the goodness of Jesus and he deposits it into your life account so that when God the Father looks in at you, what he sees is that you are good. You are made good. You're not good because of your effort. You're not good because you tried hard to be good. You're not good because you've earned it or you deserved it. You are good because you believe in Jesus by faith. And so when he sees you, he sees that you are good. So God not only makes us good, but God is good in us and he's at work in us, allowing us to live good, live the good life. And so let me go back and read to you uh, this passage of scripture again so you don't miss what he's saying. Check this out. He says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, including you Cretans, not you, you know what I'm saying. He's writing it to the Cretan church. It teaches us, what does the grace of God do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so the key here is this. Not only does grace give us the good life, but grace makes us good. Now you heard me say that once. Grace makes us good. But I want you to shift your thinking so that first God, when he sees you, he sees you as good. But not only does grace allow you to be seen as good in the eyes of God, grace actually begins to make us good. Meaning we begin to live good. We become changed. We're transformed, not by our own efforts, but because of our faith in Jesus, when God's spirit is alive in our spirit, he begins to change the very makeup of who we are. He transforms our desires and our motives. What God wants to do is work in us so that someday when we see the sign, rather than going, ooh, that would be so much fun to take the car out of gear, we go, it would be better for me to keep the car in gear. Now my wife is still praying that that day comes in my life. But in the meantime, uh, here is how God is at work in us. Now, now imagine this. You're, you're on the island of Crete, and the Cretans are known for being liars and drunkards and cheats and pirates. They're lazy gluttons. And the Apostle Paul is saying, God's grace empowers you to not do what is wrong and gives you the power of self-control to do what is right. The Cretans, who this is their very identity, is changed. Do you follow me? So some of us, 
You, your identity has been tied up in the things you've done wrong. You define yourself. You look back on your past and you, the weight that you carry, the burden of judgment is that I am what I've done. But what Paul is saying is the grace of God makes us good. God's grace gives us salvation so that we are good in the eyes of God. But you're not just good in the eyes of God, you're actually good. You begin to do good, your, your life is changed. So listen to this. The Cretans who are always bad, doing wrong things, are changed so that they are very much unlike the rest of the Cretans. They begin to live a new life. Goodness is now living through them. How? Because God's spirit in us is at work changing us so that we begin to have good responses. There's three things that the Apostle Paul said happen when God's grace is at work in your life. He said he, he gives you the power to say no to ungodliness. Don't miss this. What that means is this. God's spirit in you will begin to change your desires, begin to transform you and free you so that previously you and I were chained and all we were doing was saying yes to the wrong things. Every time we saw a sign that said keep car in gear, we just said yes to taking it out of gear. But now God's spirit in us is living goodness through us, so now I have the ability to say no to an urge that will destroy me. Believe it or not, this is freedom. He frees us up from these addictive, destructive desires so that we are empowered to say no. When previously so many of us did not feel like we had the power. We didn't feel like we had the strength because here's the deal, we were trying to do it in our own strength. We were trying to be good enough. Now God's spirit in us actually makes us good and then he gives us the power to say no to the desires that would destroy us. So he said he empowers us to say no. Then he empowers us in self-control. So now I not only am saying no to wrong things, but I am empowered to be controlled by God's spirit to do what is right. Some of you, maybe you've been previously controlled by anger or by some other vice in your life and now God's spirit in you is changing you so that you can walk out that self-control. And then the third thing he says is that he enables us to live in integrity and right living. So now we begin to live a good life. We begin to live out the behaviors of what, it, what we are already spiritually good now that goodness begins to seep out of us and others can begin to see the good that God has put in us. And so he concludes this passage with this statement. Let's check this out. He said, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. Not just that they are burdened to do what is good, trying hard to do what is good, but eager to do what is good. Check it out. The good life means you are not trying to be good enough. You are good. And now the good in you is gonna come out of you in the way you and I live. So what's the point? Grace not only makes us good, but grace makes us want to do good. Would you take a moment and type that in? Write that down? Grace doesn't just make me good. Grace makes me want to do good. This is a transformation. Before, I had to do good. 
I had to do good because I was trying to measure up to being good enough, which in turn would make me feel good. But now, because I believe in Jesus, I am good. And because I am good, the goodness in me is going to come out of me, and he changes my have to into a want to. Do you catch that? So if right now you're white knuckling it, it's because you're trying to do it in your own strength. You're trying to be good enough. You and I have a responsibility to yield and say, I'm not trying to be good enough. I am good, and I need God's spirit to change my have to into a want to. Now listen to me. This is vital. Look, you are so gracious. I, I, I look around, and you're joining us online, our campuses, and um, we, every weekend, so many people, they gather and they hear our sermons. You, you, you go to a, a life group, and you're hearing good teaching. People are instructing you on how to live this good life. And, and there's one of two ways that you can, you can respond to a sermon. You can hear us preach, you can go to a life group and hear the teaching, and you can go like this, man, I really have to do that. And you can try really hard to apply the principles of God's word to your life. And what you're gonna be doing is you're gonna be trying to white knuckle things that are impossible to live out. Every single sermon we're ever gonna give you, you are, it is gonna be impossible for you to apply it in your own strength. It's impossible, you can't do it. We know you can't do it, which is why every single sermon, we try to connect the dots. This is impossible. You and I are innately broken. We are innately driven by sin. So no matter how hard you and I try, we're never going to be able to apply this biblical principle unless we believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit changes our spirit and his spirit empowers us to do what we could have otherwise never done on our own, which means any good that comes out of us comes from the grace of God at work in us. Follow me. I'm not asking you to apply a sermon in your own ability or your own strength or your own effort to be good enough. Because if you try, you're gonna fail and you're gonna get frustrated and then you're gonna say, man, church doesn't work for me. It's not that church works for anybody. It's that God is at work in each of us, changing us and making us good inwardly so that goodness then begins to come out of us in the way we interact with others. So what I'm hoping is that what you hear is that you can't apply a sermon in your own ability, but when you believe in Jesus by faith and you allow God's spirit to work in your spirit, then he changes your have to into a want to. And so when you hear a message like this, you're like, I want to be good. I want to do good. I want to live this out in my life because I want to please God and I want to allow God's spirit in me to work through me in what is good. Did you catch the difference there? One is us trying really hard in our own effort to be good enough. The other is allowing God to be at work in us to do good through us. So now everything we do that is good, we recognize that's coming from the grace of God, meaning it's God's favor, God's love, God's goodness in our life that is coming through our life. And so now, not only do I not take a lot of credit for that, but I also have this moment when I go, man, that makes my efforts, uh, it, it takes the burden off of me. Now I'm not trying really hard. I'm just yielding to God's spirit in my life. God, help me be kinder. Help me 
be gentler. Help me love my wife better. Help me be a better parent. Help me to be a good employee or a good employer. Help me to be a better driver on the golf course. All right, you with me? Okay, so now let's land this and I wanna invite you to respond. But remember, I'm asking you to respond to something where in your own ability, it's impossible. And so let's, let's pause right there. Right now, I want you to pause. I want you to pray. Maybe close your eyes. We believe that God's spirit is present here. God's spirit that wants to speak to your spirit. God's spirit that wants to change your spirit. If as you've been coming, you've been feeling this burden to be good enough, today I wanna lift that burden and say, hey, join the crowd, you're never gonna be good enough. And this isn't about being good enough, it's about being made good through God's spirit. And so, some of you right now, you've been carrying guilt and shame. You've been beating yourself up because you've been trying really hard and it's never been enough. But what you need is to receive through faith, God's grace that comes from believing in Jesus. And if that's where you're at right now, as you believe in Jesus by faith in this moment, I want you to know that God's spirit is entering your spirit. He's putting his goodness in you. He's forgiving you of sin and he's changing you. Others of you, you believe in Jesus, but you're still carrying shame and guilt because you believe in Jesus, but you're still trying in your own ability and your own effort. And today's gonna be a day where you're gonna yield and say, God, I'm gonna stop trying to be good enough and I'm gonna allow your goodness in me to come through me. Now, for those of you that you've been trying to be good enough and it's been a burden and you know you can't do it and today you're ready to say yes to Jesus by faith. You're ready to believe in Jesus and allow his love to heal your heart, allow him to come and forgive you of sin and give you that good and new life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand high and say, yeah, that's me right now. That's where I'm at. If you're joining us online, if you indicate that you're, that you're making that commitment, would you let us know? Anybody else you wanna just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. For those of you that are raising your hand, I wanna take a moment, I wanna pray with you. Jesus, thank you for loving us. You saw us when we were intrinsically bad. And you came to rescue us, to die on a cross, to give us new life. You took the full weight of our sin on yourself. You absorbed our judgment. And right now, God, by faith, we're saying yes to you. And we're receiving your love, your forgiveness, and your goodness. And now, Lord, for each one of us, would you, would you by your spirit, empower us to begin to live good because your goodness is in us? Would we show your goodness in the way that we say no to what is wrong, we live self-controlled and we begin to do what is right. Would you turn our have-tos into want-tos? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.